So today, uh, by the way, my name is Matthew. If you are new to Jesus, um, welcome. One of the stories in the first service of um, someone who was baptized, her name's Lindsay, she told the story of coming and just kind of sitting in the back and she was new to Jesus and just felt like she needed to sit in the back row and just, um, uh, there was some fear in coming. And, and I just, I, I want to acknowledge any of you in the room who are feeling that way and not to point out people sitting in the back right now, but just to say, I'm glad you're here. <laughs> and if you need a number of weeks just to come and just to come in the back door, sit there and hopefully experience the love of Christ, um, we love that. And I'm glad you're here. And this journey that, that Lindsay was on has just developed into this love for Jesus. And it was, it's just beautiful to see. Um, I got to tell you her story really quick. Um, it was really great. In uh, 2021, we were doing one of those safe COVID, safe Christmas blessing things here. And uh, one of our pastors, Janet, and a team of people went to people on Yeoman's Crescent or Yeoman Street behind our church to drop off Toblerone. Um, to say sorry for the noise. <laughs> We're going to be noisy here in the parking lot. And, but, uh, but it was like a bit of an invitation to come. And, and Lindsay just said it was, it was her invitation to come. And she had been walking across our parking lot just as a neighbor here uh, for a long time and wanting to know God. And it was just this invitation. And from that little Toblerone chocolate to Baptism Sunday, it's just been this really cool journey. She's gone to Alpha. And uh, anyway, okay, so just go watch it at some other point. Um, but anyway, I'm telling her whole story. It was so encouraging. And, um, and so as we think about baptism, today is going to have a lot to do with being fully surrendered to Jesus. And so that's going to be a big theme for today. And what I want to do is also thank Janet, Janet Thiessen, who preached this last week, and we ended our seven-week series uh, called Abide on, on worship. And we looked at seven different, for seven weeks, we looked at seven different postures of worship. And I love where Janet ended the series because it's this picture of, you know, maybe six of the postures are what we do in worship, but we wanted to end that last week on what God does, right? What does God do? God in worship draws us near to him. And I hope that you'll sense that even today, even for many of you who are new, right? that you would just sense God drawing you close to him, that worship is not just what we do, it's what God is doing to us as he pulls us in. So thanks to Janet, uh, we were, my family, we were able to be away in Alberta. My niece got married and my niece asked me to do the wedding. So it's just a huge honor to get to go to Alberta and, and to perform her wedding. Um, so we're back in the book of Luke. So we're gonna spend the next few months uh, journeying with Jesus in the book of Luke. So it is a whole summer filled with Jesus, lots of stories of Jesus. So I hope you're able to join us. Um, if you are new to Christianity or new to church, this would be a wonderful summer, summer just to come and week by week hear stories of Jesus. So uh, many of you will know that in, I think it was the fall of 2020, we started a journey in the book of Luke. So we kind of pop in and out of different series that we do, but we're always in the book of Luke. And so we'll always go back to Luke. So we're, this summer we're gonna spend some time in like Luke chapter 13, 14, 15, and maybe 16. Uh, we'll see where the summer goes. So, all right. I wanna begin by telling you a story. And I've shared this story a couple times in the past, um, but it's become almost like uh, a parable story in, in my life and in, between me and my parents. So here's how the story goes. And, and um, 
I told the first service that I'm not even sure this story is true, <laughs> uh, but it has become uh, parable-esque in my life. So here's the story that my parents tell me. Um, I was born in Texas, I was born in Fort Worth, and I lived there till I was five. And then when I was five, we, uh, our family moved to South America for seven years. My parents were missionaries. But anyway, this story takes place, I'm under the age of five. So maybe, yeah, two, three, four, something like that. And the story goes, as I'm hanging out, it's a hot day, I'm in a lake in Texas. And so I'm standing in a lake, shallow water, and uh, my parents are just kind of in front of me on the sand, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm splashing around. And my, my dad sees a, uh, a snake coming towards me, so it's a water moccasin, kind of slithering towards me. And he says, Matthew, get out of the water. And, uh, and I said, no. <laughs> and... Uh, Remember, this is a story my parents tell me, so just, I'm not sure this is all true, but uh, they, so they said I said, no, no, and I said, Matthew, come out of the water, no, and so then what my dad did is he runs in and he scoops me up, and, um, and it's been a, a lifelong lesson <laughs> to me uh, from my parents about how we learn to obey even if we don't know why, right, if we don't know the why. It's been a very convenient story that they've been able to use my whole life, uh, and so, so, but this is the story. I'm standing in a lake, snake is coming towards me, and the two words I want to talk about today are the fact that I was, as a young child, ignorant, ignorant of the snake coming towards me, and stubborn, stubborn in my refusal to get out of the water, right? Ignorant and stubborn, two really great words to explore uh, this morning together. And today, in the text that we're going to study, Jesus looks at the city of Jerusalem, and his heart is filled with compassion. The people of the city of Jerusalem are ignorant and stubborn. They're ignorant of the danger that is right around the corner, and they're stubborn in their refusal to come to Jesus and find life. And so we're going to unpack this story. We're in the book of Luke. If you have your Bible, feel free to turn to Luke chapter 13, and we're going to explore verses 31 to 35. If you didn't bring your Bible, it'll be on the screen. And before we read, I just want to pray and dedicate this time to the Lord. So, Lord Jesus, we love you. We're grateful for your truth. And Lord, today these words uh, from your scriptures are a light for our path. And we pray that you would guide us. Jesus, as we see your heart of compassion for a city that was ignorant and stubborn. Lord, may we also see the radical invitation of your arms open wide, ready to receive all who would find refuge in you. And today I'm aware that many of us in the room are in great need of finding refuge in you with your arms stretched open. May we see that, may it be clear to us in the next coming minutes we love you. We dedicate this time to you. Open our eyes, God. Amen. Okay, Luke 13. Starting in verse 31. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, Leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. He replied, Go tell that fox, I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, 
You who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So this is the word of the Lord. Now, just a reminder, when we use that little phrase after we read scripture, this is the word of the Lord, thanks be to God, just a reminder to not let that become just kind of a legalistic thing we say, right? Just kind of a, an empty thing. That we really do believe that what God has given us, given to us in the scriptures is such a gift and that the words of Jesus are such a gift to us. And, and so we just want to thank him for, for, for these words that guide our path. And, I, and, and my hope, we're about to dive into this, but just... My general hope today is that you really sense that as you see these words of Jesus and hear his, hear his voice through his words, that today you'll leave encouraged that um, he is just a God of compassion for you. So really, truly, thanks be to God, right, for his heart for us. Okay, so you ready? Yeah, thank you. Okay, here we go. So Luke 13, um, 31, verse 31. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. Okay, so Jesus is ministering in an area, geographical area called Galilee. Galilee is the area, northern Israel, where Jesus grew up. Nazareth, his hometown, is in Galilee. So Galilee was a region controlled by a puppet king uh, called Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas. Now, this is not the Herod that you have heard about uh, at Christmas every year, about Herod. Uh, th that is Herod Antipas's father, Herod the Great. So when Herod the Great died, his rule, his his, um, the area that he oversees was kind of split up between numerous people. And the area of Galilee was given to his son, Herod Antipas. Now, Herod Antipas ruled over Galilee for 43 years. Basically, outside of Jesus being very young, and at that time, Jesus was mostly in Egypt, right? Like, he had escaped to Egypt he, uh, with Mary and Joseph. But when, by the time Jesus comes back, and for the rest of Jesus' life, uh, he, he lives under the reign and rule of Herod Antipas. So anytime you run into adult Jesus, just remember, this is Herod Antipas, not Herod the Great. And... Herod Antipas rules over Jesus' family, friends, neighbors. Imagine all the fishing villages around the Sea of Galilee. All of Jesus' people are controlled by this, this false king, Herod Antipas. Some of you may remember the story where Pontius Pilate, uh, when Jesus is about to be crucified, he's on trial before Pontius Pilate, who's the Roman governor, and Pilate sends Jesus to Herod Antipas because he says, oh, Jesus, you're from Galilee. Well, that's under the jurisdiction of Herod Antipas. And so um, Jesus would have known the character of Herod. Jesus would have known exactly what it was like to live under the reign and rule of Herod. And so what does Jesus say about this man? What is Jesus, how does Jesus describe this man? What does he say? Fox. <laughs> Does Jesus call people names? Uh, go tell that fox, right? Go tell that fox. I'll keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day, I will reach my goal. 
It's so interesting. I love this. Go tell that fox. I mean, Jesus is not mincing his words here. Now, why fox? Why fox? You know, we use the, the, the phrase, sly as a fox, right? Why? I mean, think of, think of uh, cartoon characters, um, uh, you know, maybe other than the fox and the hound, uh, and maybe other than Disney when he's uh, Robin Hood. Okay, so that maybe there's some positive, you know, foxes. Uh, oftentimes, the fox is usually the one who's like kind of, you know, maybe not the, you know, maybe he's the, he's the sly one, the cunning one, the deceitful one, right, in the, in the story. And uh, it's very interesting. Actually, 500 years before Jesus, uh, there's, a, there's a story called The Fox and the Crow by Aesop. Some of you may, may be familiar with Aesop's fables. Uh, let me tell you one of the fables. Um, in one of the stories, Aesop tells there's a story of a crow that found a piece of cheese and is up in a tree eating the cheese. Are you with me? Okay, so crow, cheese, in a tree. Uh, and a fox wants the cheese. And so the fox struts up and starts to flatter the crow and says, wow, you're really beautiful. You're a beautiful crow. And uh, I wonder if you have an equally beautiful voice. And so the crow starts to sing and the cheese falls out of the mouth onto the ground, and the fox gets the cheese. So the fox wins, right? And it's this story of a fox that uses flattery, you know, cunning, uh, cunning tactics to get what he wants. Now, that was written 500 years before Jesus, so I only bring it up to say um, it, it's very interesting whether Jesus uh, was familiar with the Aesop's fables. The story shows that for thousands of years, the fox has this connection to deceit, to, to, to someone being cunning, maybe not in a positive way, to, to a smooth talker, uh, someone who's sly, right? So wh why is Herod Antipas deceitful, cunning, sly person? Well, some of you may know his story. So Herod Antipas, uh, in a cunning way, um, basically steals his brother's wife from him. So he marries the wife of his brother. Uh, a woman named Herodias. And he then, then, John the Baptist, who's Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist is upset about this because, listen, Herod Antipas, you're still king over the Jewish people. You should have some morals, right? So John the Baptist, who's a prophet, is like, that's wrong. You're not supposed to marry your brother's sister, right? You know, and uh, what does Herod do? He puts John in prison, John the Baptist. Then at a dinner party, right, people have been drinking and then... Herodias' daughter starts to dance for Herod, and Herod says, I'll give you anything you want, and she says, I want the head of John the Baptist. So Herod goes, okay, off with his head. Chops off the head of John the Baptist. This is Jesus' cousin. I mean, just put yourself in Jesus' shoes. His cousin's head is taken off because he had the strength as a prophet to speak against Herod Antipas and his immorality, right? And so here's the deal. Herod is living how he wants, taking whatever he wants for himself, whether it's his brother's wife, whether it's the head of a prophet, right? And he's hurting those around him. So yeah, Jesus knows Herod, and he knows what he'll do to get what he wants. He's a fox. He's a fox. And Jesus is the Messiah. And the Messiah is also called the Lion of Judah. But Herod Antipas is no lion. He's a false king. So here, the true line of Judah looks at a puppet king and calls him a fox, right? Verses 32 to 33. He replied, that's Jesus. 
Go tell the fox, go tell that fox, I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside of Jerusalem. Oh, there's so much to, so much to see here. Um, Twice do you notice, if you have your Bible open, look at verse 32 and then look at verse 33. In verse 32, we have a little phrase, um, we, we see this, this three-day language twice. Did you notice that? Three-day language? Like, look, it says, verse 32, it says, today, tomorrow, and on the third day. And then verse 33 says, today, tomorrow, and the next day. I mean, what's Jesus doing? What is he talking about? Um, are these like actual literal days? What's going on? Well. Uh, one theologian, N.T. Wright, uh, says this is really picture language that Jesus is using of two days of work and one day of completion. Two days of work, one day of completion. And the language here suggests this is all a plan. It's a plan. Now, this language is used twice. It's used in the scriptures twice. Some of you might remember when Jesus is a, a child, right? How long does it take for Mary and Joseph to find him when he gets lost as a 12-year-old, right? It's two days, right? And they find him on the third day, where? In the temple, in his father's house, teaching. And then, most of you will know the story of the cross and resurrection, right? He's in the tomb, two days, and he rises on the third day, right? So this language of two days, then one day of completion. I believe, uh, when I tried to study this, that this is Jesus' way of saying, there's a plan. This is not chaos. This is not random. This is not all up for grabs. I know there's a fox named Herod. I know there's the Roman Empire. There's a lot going on, but there's a plan. There's a plan. For two days, I'm gonna do what my father has asked me to do, but on the third day, I'll reach my goal. It's a plan, and the plan is unchangeable. No ruler, no authority, no one can stop the plan. Herod the fox can't stop the plan. And Jesus knows that he has to go to Jerusalem. North Langley, I just wanna tell you, we will misunderstand Jesus if you don't realize if we think the cross is an accident, or we think the cross is just like, ah, it's unfortunate, he had to die. But I'm oh, so glad about the resurrection. You know, well, we're all glad about the resurrection, but just so you know, the cross was intentional. Jesus knew exactly what he had to do. He, he knows that he has to go to Jerusalem to lay his life down for the world. He knows that the true king, the true lion, must die for the people. He knows that the true king, the true lion, must become actually a sacrificial lamb in love for the people. So what Jesus, I think, is doing is going, make no mistake, this will not be Herod's plan. This is not Pontius Pilate's plan. This is no one, this is, this is my plan. This is my plan. I will lay my life down for my people. So he's got his gaze set towards Jerusalem, right? He's on his way to Jerusalem. And then he says this about the city of Jerusalem, right? It's, like, it's almost like he's in Galilee, but he can picture where he's going pictures the city in the south, right? And he says this, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, let's just start there at the end. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That is a Sunday that we call what? Anyone? Palm Sunday. Yeah, that's right. Palm Sunday. 
Jesus knows that he's going to enter into the city on Palm Sunday, right? But what does he do? He, and, and that week will trigger an, a, a series of events that will end up at the cross and resurrection, right? That week. Right? So as he prepares to go to the city, picture, North Langley, just picture him looking at the city and just being filled with compassion for the city, right? He, he sets his eyes upon the city of Jerusalem, and what does he feel? He feels this deep compassion for the people. Why? Because he looks at the city and he sees how lost they are. He sees how helpless they are. And what does he do? He describes himself as a hen, a mother hen, who wants to gather her chicks under her wings to protect them. It's, it's remarkable to hear Jesus describe himself as a mother hen. A hen, a mother hen, is nurturing, vulnerable, protective, loving, drawing her young to herself under her wings. This is the image Jesus picks for himself. If you picture it in your mind, right? Notice in our story, there's a fox, there's a hen, and there's chicks, little baby chickens, right? Jesus is a master storyteller. Right? Herod is the fox. The people of Jerusalem are the chicks. And Jesus is the hen. You know, I had to pause when I was reading this. And I was like, no, Jesus, I think I'd tell the story different. See, if I was telling the story, I would want to describe myself, if I was Jesus, as the farmer with an ax. Right? It's like, let me tell you the story. There's a fox. And there's these helpless chicks in Jerusalem. But let me tell you who I am. I'm the farmer who's got a bow and arrow. And I'm ready to shoot any fox I see, right, with an arrow. Or I'm going to chop the head off the fox who chopped my cousin's head off. I don't know. I don't know how you would tell the story, but that's, that's how I would tell the story. I'm the farmer with an axe. And Jesus doesn't do that. And, and, I, and it's fascinating to see why, right? Jesus describes himself as an incredibly vulnerable, nurturing person here. It's a mother, hen. Foxes eat hens. Why would you? Where are we going? We're headed to the cross. The moment when Jesus is absolutely vulnerable, pierced, naked, bleeding, out of love for the world. So what's the image he's going to pick? It's one of vulnerability. And, and, and what is Jesus doing? He's not picking this out of nowhere. He's echoing the pictures and language of the Old Testament. Psalm, Psalm 36, how priceless is your unfailing love, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your what? Wings. <laughs> shadow of your wings. Psalm 91, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. So what is Jesus doing? He's using language for God. 
Jesus saw himself as the God of the Old Testament who comes to shelter his people with his wings. You say God in the Old Testament, the Most High God, wants to shelter his people under his wings. And Jesus says, exactly. Just bring these little chickens, right, under my wings. And what does Jesus do? He looks over the city and he says, your house is desolate. What does that mean? Your house is desolate. Well, interpreters of the Bible say, oh, he could be talking about the temple. He could be talking about the city. He could be talking about all of Israel. He could be talking just about the leaders. And I think it's, yes, I think it's all the above. Jesus is looking at the whole system of Israel and he's saying it's an empty house. It's empty. It's desolate. He's describing the city with its lack of faith, which is turned away from God. It's empty. It's empty, totally empty. David Garland explains the picture here. He says, Jerusalem is the headquarters of a religious hierarchy that is more interested in preserving their power than in hearing what God has to say. So what's Jesus doing? He's the rightful king, and he's looking at this city with its religious establishment, its temple, and all of it just looks empty and desolate to Jesus. He knows that this is the very group of leaders, religious leaders, that will have him crucified very soon. He wants the city to see that there's nothing there. It's empty now. If these leaders are willing to crucify the Messiah, then there is nothing there for you. There is no fruit left in this city. There's nothing left. And this is the warning that Jesus is trying to extend to the people of the city. He knows that within a few decades, the city of Jerusalem will be flattened by the Roman Empire. Some of you uh, know this historically, right? In the year 70 AD, Roman armies came and destroyed the city. So just like picture yourself if you're Jesus, right? What do you see? You see a fox in Galilee. You see a city with its religious leaders that are willing to crucify a Messiah. It's empty religion. And you know that hordes of Roman armies are about to destroy and flatten the city. So Jesus has a perspective that nobody else has. And what is he doing? His arms are extended. They're wide open. They're like, come, come. I want to gather you in and save you from these foxes, from these empires, from this false religion that's just sucking the core of the city into this legalism and emptiness. And he just wants to bring his people in. You see his vulnerability and his nurturing. He's a true king who wants to protect his people. He wants to provide a shelter, a hiding place, a refuge for them. So I just want to pause and say, like, I hope you're feeling what Jesus feels when he looks at his people. And I'm going to make an argument here in a bit that when he looks at us, he, seems, he sees much of the same thing. He sees leaders in our lives that are acting as foxes. He sees empires and political movements and all kinds of messiness, ideologies, systems, all kinds of messed up stuff that won our hearts. He sees religion, and this is the cautionary tale for people in my role, 
empty, dead religion. And he looks at you and he loves you. And his arms are extended and he says, I want you. I want to pull you out of that. I want to pour my love upon you. I want to be a refuge for you. Are you tired? Are you exhausted? Are you weary? Are you burdened? From, from all that's going on around you, I want to be a refuge for you. Just pull you in like a mother hen pulls in her chicks. But as he looks at us and he looks at the city of Jerusalem, how many of us would find ourselves in a position where we're ignorant and we're stubborn? Ignorant of the danger around the corner and stubborn in our un unwillingness to get out of the water. Like me as a child in that Texas lake, ignorant of the snake, stubborn in my refusal to leave the danger. And so what, what, what would we say to us today as Jesus has his arms open to a weary world and he says this, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened and I'll give you rest. But why is it that Matthew refuses to come? Stand in the water and I say, no. And I'm ignorant. I'm ignorant of the dangers around me. I mean, to be, to be honest, I'm, I'm standing in the waters and I'm, and I'm okay. Because see, from my vantage point in the shallows of the stream, it's a hot day, things are fine, I got this, <laughs> you know? I'm doing okay, God. I don't need you right now. I'll phone you when I need you. Don't need you right now. So we'll phone God in a crisis, but life is good. I'm enjoying my pleasant secularism and enjoying this kind of maybe deistic worldview and just I'll get a hold of you when I need you, right? But we're ignorant and I'm ignorant. I know that Matthew is ignorant of the power of all kinds of snakes nearby. The materialism, I'm ignorant of the power of materialism over my life. I am living ignorant of the power of greed that grows in the soil of my heart. I'm ignorant of the powerfully crippling nature of lust. I am incredibly ignorant of the pride within my own heart and what that pride can do to families, relationships, marriages. I'm ignorant of what bitterness can do to my own soul. I'm even ignorant to the fact that I have an enemy. I mean, sometimes I know that intellectually, but I don't know it practically. By enemy, I'm talking about the enemy Jesus tells us about, who is not a human being, right? He says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus tells us there's a thief. See, I live my life splashing around in the, <laughs> in the calm waters of the lake, totally ignorant. It's like, it's just me and God, me and others, me and God. And, and Jesus is like, there's a third character in that story. There's a thief. There, there is a dark enemy. I mean, you might be new to Jesus, and this is probably just sounds a little weird, but we're, we're trusting Jesus. Many of us who follow him, we're saying he is on to something. That there is a dark, evil presence in the world. 
There's a part, and this thief wants to steal, kill, and destroy, wants to destroy all kinds of things in our life. And I'm just ignorant of that, often. I'm ignorant of the snake, because I don't always see the snake. But all I'm called to see, see, I don't, I don't need, <laughs> this is what Lewis says, you know, in screw tape letters, you know, you don't need to hyper-worry about the snake. What do you need to see? You need to look in front of you and see the arms of your father. That's what you need to see. Who's got his arms extended, who's saying, come out of the water. I love you. Come on out. My arms are extended for you. Just like Jesus looking over the city, come, just a mother hen, I just want to gather you in. Would you come out of the water, please? You don't have to see it all. All you need to see is me. Come. I was reflecting with a friend the other day that um, it dawned on me that I know many of you have walked through some real suffering in your life, things that have happened to you, that you, this was not asked for, sickness, death, lots of pain, right? When I was reflecting on my life, this is, you know, it's an embarrassing reality. Uh, I realized when I was talking to a friend of mine, I was like, oh, actually, all the pain in my life is self-induced. Right? I was like, that's, that's horrible, right? Like, I, I've gone through some hard things in life, nothing like many of you, but I said, actually, the hardest things I've ever gone through, I did it to myself. It, it, it involved my own ignorance and my own stubbornness. And uh, I desperately want to learn my lesson here. It's, it's, like, in the way I've heard others, um, it involves ignorance and it involves stubbornness. And so, and, so, and so, as I'm reflecting, I'm reflecting about my own kingdom. If I, see, I've got my own kingdom, and what is that? Well, um, everyone has one, and Dallas Willard says, uh, your kingdom is the range of your effective will. It, it just means... Your kingdom is where what you want to have happen, happens. So that's your kingdom. Just bring to mind, you know, how big is your kingdom? You know? John Ortberg says, my kingdom is where things go the way I want them to go. And so, you know, having our own little kingdom starts off in Genesis 3. You know the story of Adam and Eve, right? They were going to establish their own kingdom, thank you very much, where where we, we will now decide what is good and evil. And that's our kingdom. This is, we're, gonna, we're happy to govern our own lives. But the story of history and the story of our lives is a story of deep brokenness because we've chosen our own kingdom. We've chosen to rule ourselves. We believe that we are the best kings and queens of our own little kingdoms and queendoms, right? Like the people in the city of Jerusalem, we'll rule ourselves. Thank you very much, right? But Jesus' invitation is to die to that. Really, there's no other way to say it. To die to that, to surrender to that. And the invitation that I hear from him is, is to die to my own kingdom and to come surrender to his. And it's uh, at the heart of that kingdom, guys, is the cross. It's the vulnerable, sacrificial love of God. And that describes the kingdom that you're being invited into. 
place of love, place of vulnerability, place of refuge, shelter, where his will is being done, right? On earth as it is in heaven. And so it is, I mean, it's an end. It's a death to my own will and my own life, but it's, it's his will now. That's the most freeing place we can be because we're out of that water and we're protected from those snakes <clears throat> and we're held by him, totally held by him. So what are the other rulers, whether people or things that seek control to lead you astray? They're foxes, they're snakes. Can you bring any to mind? And all you need to do is to see the arms of the Father. And I want to I kind of end with a picture of these arms open. Right? I've already shared with you the arms of Matthew 11, right? Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I'll give you rest. You see the arms of Jesus extended towards the city of Jerusalem. He wants to gather his chicks like a mother hen. You see the arms of Jesus on the cross, extended, pierced. And the blood that is offered for you, his life for your life. Right? So these arms are extended. And I'd like to end uh, by sharing another picture of these arms. Because I want you to know these arms are powerful. They're powerful enough to calm a storm. They have authority over the wind and the waves. And um, I'd like to actually um, preach a mini sermon from my kids, if you don't mind. I was doing some house cleaning, and I found this sheet of paper uh, crumbled up in the garbage. I was like, what's this? So I just opened it up. And apparently my kids were in the basement. They don't know I'm doing this. Uh, they, were, uh, they were playing church, and, uh, <laughs> and so, um, so I guess one of them, it, doesn't, uh, it looks maybe like Lucy or Ella's writing. Uh, I'd just like to read you a sermon here. You're like, oh no, another whole sermon, but uh, it's this long, so let me just read it to you really quick. So these are my kids. Hello, everybody. I'm so glad you're here today. Today we will be talking about how Jesus was on a ship with some of his disciples, Okay, let me begin the story. Once Jesus was on a boat with his disciples, then he fell asleep when a storm came, and the disciples were scared because Jesus was asleep. Then, when he woke up, the storm was still going. Then he put his arms out, and the wind and the waves were silent. And that's where I'm going to end off for today. I'll let the worship team continue. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. You guys are probably like, you should take a cue from your kids. That's, we could all be having lunch by now uh, if this is the, the length of your sermons. Um, but I love that. He put his arms out and the wind and the waves were silent. And see, so what I want you to know is they are welcoming arms, right? They're welcoming arms. Come, I'll give you shelter. But they're powerful arms. They silence the wind and the waves, right? But they're self-sacrificial arms that are pierced for you. And, and, and all three versions of these arms, this is him saying, come, come, all of you who are weary and burdened. In a minute, we're gonna have our prayer team up here in a prayer room. I don't know how you're weary and burdened, but would you just come? Our prayer team would love to pray for you. 
That's one way of coming to Jesus. You go, how do I come to Jesus? Well, you, we come in prayer ministry. We turn to each other and pray. We come to his words. We join a small group of fellowship to be around his body near him, right? Listening to his voice. We show up in worship. We take communion. Like the three people earlier this morning, we're baptized. I mean, these are all ways in which we come to Jesus. We serve, right? I come close to Jesus as I'm using the gifts he gives me. I don't, but we come with his arms open. And right now, what we're going to do is we are going to take communion. And uh, would you take your bread and the cup? We're going to take a moment to remember those arms stretched out for us. And um, the ushers are kind of coming around. If any of you need the, the bread or the cup, feel free to raise your hand. Thanks to you guys, all of you ushers. What we want to do is take a moment of silence here and reflect and just two things to reflect on. Number one, where are you weary and burdened? And number two, where are you ignorant and stubborn? Where are you weary and burdened? Where are you ignorant and stubborn? And how might you just say yes to the invitation of Jesus today?